So I'm really excited this morning uh, to introduce you to a couple things that are coming up. Uh, so one, I, I am stoked about because I've been working on for about six months or so. Uh, in uh, about a month's time, June 11th, we're going to be kicking off a massive sermon series. We're going to be working from one cover of the Bible to the other over 14 months. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be so much fun. And uh, it, it's trying to make sense of this big, grand story and what we, who we are as people of faith, what we're doing, all this kind of stuff. It's going to be great. Um, and I want to invite you guys to be reading along. Where I'm, in a couple of weeks, we'll be giving out some of these uh, reading guides that are as bookmarks, uh, kind of have some passages for each week. I would love for you guys to join for part or all of it. It's a great way to get introduced or reintroduced into the practice of Bible reading in your devotional life and to be able to go even deeper with the themes that we're exploring each week. So I would love for you to join us on that. To that uh, end, in the inside of your rows, we've got little pages. If, you, if your Bible reads like Shakespeare... Or if you can't make heads or tails of what's going on in it, um, I would love to get you guys a new Bible um, that is this great translation, very readable and very good in terms of scholarship and all that kind of stuff. I've made it dead simple for you. If you want a new Bible, I would love to give it to you. Put your name on a slip of paper and put it in the offering plate. That's easy, right? Okay, that's easy. So go ahead and grab one if you're interested. I want, would love to give it to whoever wants a copy and wants to be able to have one to read along some. Yeah. It's the CEB, Common English Bible. It's a newer translation from 2011. All right, and then... I'm also really excited about this month leading up to it. Because we're going to be exploring a theme we've been talking about in bits and pieces uh, leading up to now, but we're going to explore it much more in depth. Um, we're going to be looking at what do we know about the future of the church? So not uh, capital C church, so broad church, not just Siebold, but it's pretty clear that it's pretty different out there now for the church. And so we're going to try and make some sense of What's happening? How do we respond? What will it look like for whatever church is going forward in the future? And uh, this task is by definition impossible um, because we're in a time of massive social and cultural change. We're experiencing paradigm shifts, uh, meaning we're not just redecorating the room we are stripping it down to the studs and rebuilding the whole thing. That we're seeing this huge paradigm shift in terms of social institutions, of ideology, of social participation, of cultural expectations. And so let me il illustrate what I mean by a paradigm shift. Let me give you an example. 600 or so years ago, a guy named Johannes Gutenberg built the printing press. Uh, the effects of this were not just, oh, it's another piece of technology, great. Uh, it instigated a paradigm shift in the Western world. It revolutionized 
all aspects of society, the way people communicated, the way people speak and think, and very mental structures, their conception of time, the ephemerality of words, how complex of language you can use and can think of, how you think about yourselves as selves, how you interact with religion and authority and freedom. It touched all of these things and completely changed the whole landscape. That's what we mean by a paradigm shift. It's something completely new. It's not just a generational transition. It's there's something completely new going on. And so we're seeing, this is what we're seeing socially and culturally in our moment in time. Uh, not, not just a little shift, but an entire new social world is emerging. We are no longer where we have been for the last couple hundred of years, and we're never going to be again. The shifts are so large that we have to reimagine everything. And so, by definition, it is an impossible task to think about what the future looks like, because we are actively in the process of creating what has never been. However, it would be a really boring sermon series if I just left it at that and that we can't figure it out. Um, so what we can know is there's some things, some aspects, some values, some principles that are certainly going to be a part of it, whatever shape it looks. And so we're going to dive some into that and what it looks like for those to be really integrated into our Christian practice. The one for today... Let's explore that the new church will be and must be authentic. Our Bible passage this morning gives us a great starting point for thinking about this. It features Jesus, and opposing him are his foils, his Pharisees, these religious leaders. And Jesus is just tearing into them. He's just, the major thing he's blasting is showy religion and hypocrisy. He's railing on those people standing up in public and praying so that they seem all pious and like a great person, for getting respect and social status. Uh, no, instead, go into your room and shut the door and then pray. He's saying, uh, don't go around writing huge checks for charity and then you know, giving it and trumpeting how great of a person you are. No, when you give to charity, when you give to the poor, don't let your right hand know that your left hand is doing it. It's Jesus talking about hypocrisy, about this showing off people using religion to gain social or political status. And this showy religion and hypocrisy has everything to do with authenticity. One thing that we know for certain about this cultural shift we're going through is that now people are coming out of their youth with a finely honed BS detector. Like, very, very finely honed. The amount of exposure to particularly advertising gives many of these folks a keen, and for many Christians, unnerving ability to sniff out what is not real, to know when someone's trying to pull something over them, to know when somebody's being less than honest, to know when somebody's saying something because it's just what you're supposed to say. At younger and younger ages, 
children and youth are developing sharp critical thinking skills and an acute cynicism that is well adapted to help them navigate this culture. And so that doesn't bode particularly well for us church folk. Um, The staple of our spiritual repertoire is the maxim, is the proverb, is the God doesn't give you anything more than you can handle. It's the God helps those who helps themselves or everything happens for a reason. The staple of our spiritual diet as Americans are these phrases we pick up from culture and just adopt. And that's about how deep much of it goes for the backbone of our American spirituality. And that won't fly in this new culture. They crave authenticity. They crave deep, meaningful relationships. They crave controversial, meaty discussions that are real. They don't want anything to do with a fake church culture. And within this cultural moment, as somebody mentioned, um, going to church is not the thing to do. And you know what? I thank God for that. Because that means that you're no longer going to church because of social pressure or because you think that's what your family or your friends or expect of you. You're going because that's where you're getting something and you're giving something and you're being a part of something. Those on the other side of the paradigm shift don't care at all about our social ideas that you should go to church. They don't care. It's not even on their radar. There's no reason for them to show up if it's not worth their time. If everybody just sits there and goes through the motions, if people don't really care about it, if people don't really have real discussions about real topics, it's, for them, it is a waste of time and they don't want to go. And they get more out of going for hikes or going to brunch. And so, in our modern culture, there is no reason to engage with the church if it is not authentic, with real, meaningful things happening there. One way this plays out in practice is this great church in Denver called House for All Sinners and Saints. The pastor is a woman who used to be a druggie, is tatted up all over her arms, has sleeve tattoos, is cranky and swears like a sailor. And she is very successful in engaging in a deep and meaningful way with those who don't fit in society or church, with punks and goths and transgender folks and junkies and drag queens and atheists. They're all part of her church And the thing that attracts them and engages them is one, meaningful, authentic relationships and two, actually talking about real, hard topics. They talk about drugs and depression and hope and suicide. And they curse, not to be edgy or provocative, 
but because that's how they talk in real life, and so that's their whole self being brought to church. They're, they're not trying to gussy themselves up and try and put on this veneer of having it all together, of being a certain thing that we want or expect. This church has authenticity baked into its DNA, and it is resonating with people on the other side of this cultural paradigm divide. There's pretty few churches who are actually truly being this authentic in the world. And they have, they look like all sorts of stuff at this point. There's a very liturgical Lutheran church. There's one that meets in a bar and then goes and feeds homeless in the park every day. There's one that is a participatory performance art theater. There's one that's a dinner church that all they do is eat dinner together. There is whatever it looks like to be an authentic church, the authentic body of Christ in the world, it emerges and will emerge organically. It's not some cookie-cutter thing based on what we think we should be doing. As, as I said before, we're trailblazers. Nothing has settled and coalesced into a new normal. And frankly, probably with this paradigm shift, nothing will It's always in flux, and that's part of how this new culture functions and works. And so here's the kicker. I don't think this culture is particularly wrong in not wanting to waste their time if they can't bring their full selves to worship. If they would always stay at a shallow level to have to avoid offense. If it's a group that looks and thinks all the same. If... It doesn't allow them to be different at all. I don't think that they're wrong. I don't think that they should waste their time with that. They are better off going out hiking. And I think that we should be grateful for this because outsiders allow us to see ourselves in a decentering way. It allows us they hold up a mirror for us, for us to see ourselves warts and all. And through that, we can learn something about who we actually are, not just who we tell ourselves that we are. And this is one of the clearest lessons of what we know about the church going forward, is that if it is to survive, it will be authentic. It will be real. It will be raw and honest and open. So as we continue to discern who we are, what we're called to be, how we're called to be as a church, may you be strong enough to be vulnerable. May you have enough courage to bring all of your real self to church. And may you continue to watch for the Holy Spirit blowing through this new culture and society, clearing out the cobwebs and bringing new life to our bones. May it be so.